Well, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to the person you're sitting next to and say this, all right? It's going to be a great day. And then I want you to tell them this. It's going to be a great sermon. And then you tell them this. You better stay awake. Hey, it is great to be with you uh, this morning. I want to say good morning to those who are watching online and those who are at our Mill Creek campus and those who are here at our Sugarloaf campus. And we're just glad that you're here today. We're in a great series I'm enjoying. And I want to begin with one of my favorite topics, which is sports. I'm a big sports fan. And two of the three greatest home run hitters of all time, Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth, couldn't do it. The winningest pitcher of all time, Cy Young, couldn't do it. The hitter with the all-time best batting average just from up the road in Demarest, Georgia, close to where my wife grew up, Ty Cobb, couldn't do it. The all-time strikeout king and the one with the most no-hitters, Nolan Ryan, couldn't do it. But a, a part-time player who couldn't hit, who was a pitcher, who only won 80 games over a 19-year career, became the only person in baseball history who could do it and did do it. New York Yankees relief pitcher Mariano Rivera became the first player in the history of Major League Baseball to be elected unanimously to the Hall of Fame. When I read that story, I thought to myself, what if there was a Christian Hall of Fame? Who would get in and would anybody be elected unanimously? And I believe there's at least and perhaps only one Christian who would be elected unanimously. In fact, let me tell you why I would vote for him and why I can't understand why anybody wouldn't vote for him. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, almost half, the most of any author. Because of that, he is universally recognized as the greatest and the most influential theologian that Christianity has ever had. He is by far and away the greatest missionary the church has ever produced. On 30 mission trips, he traveled 10,000 miles, taking nine months of actual travel time that lasted over 10 years. He visited more than 50 cities in those travels, and he preached the gospel to the emperor of the Roman Empire. Beyond that, more than any other person, he alone was responsible for shifting the focus of the Christian religion from the proclamation of Jesus to the proclamation about Jesus. Because of this man's influence, Christianity spread to the point where several centuries after he had died, the Roman Empire officially recognized Christianity as the only official religion of the Roman Empire. It was their singular religion. He shifted Christianity from a Jewish emphasis to a Gentile emphasis. So Christianity would not just be a sect within Judaism, but because of his influence and his impact, Christianity went on to become a worldwide faith, and the Christian church became the dominant religious, cultural, social, political, economic institution of the Western world. Now, if you have any inkling about the Bible and who wrote the Bible and what the Bible is about, I don't have to tell you his name. His name was Paul. And in my mind, he was an absolute Christian Hall of Famer. But what was the secret to his success? If you had said to Paul, Paul, at one time you were a pagan, 
You're an unbeliever. You absolutely despise the name of Jesus. You had made your full-time job stamping out Christianity and destroying churches everywhere you went. What in the world didn't just turn you on to Jesus, didn't just change you from being a Jew to a Christian? What in the world drove you, motivated you, and made you the man that you were to do all that you did? And Paul would very humbly but honestly say, it was the grace of God. And I agree with that. But it was also the grace of God that gave Paul a particular character quality that without exception, I've never seen this ever disproven. In everyone that you find that has become a truly great leader and really successful in the way you ought to be successful, always you'll find this quality every single time, self-control. Never met a great leader ever in my life that did not exercise tremendous self-control. Now, if you're a guest of ours or you've not been coming for a while, we are in a series that we're calling Mirror Image. It's a series on character. And what we've been doing is we've been building this house called character brick by brick by brick. We've talked about integrity. We've talked about honesty. We've talked about authenticity. We've talked about quite a few things. Today, we're going to insert into our house the building block of self Control. Let me tell you why this is a key building block if you're going to be the person that God wants you to be. Within every single one of us, no matter how mild-mannered you are, no matter how easygoing you are, know how easy it is to get along with you, how hard you try to get along with other people, within every one of us, there is a lion. And that lion is called self. And you will find that the biggest enemy you will have to your success, to your going where you need to go, and to your becoming what you need to become, and you're doing what you need to do, you will find the biggest obstacle that will get in your way, the biggest enemy you'll have to defeat is the enemy of you. Nothing will keep you more from being who you ought to be than you. And I've learned the hard way, if you want to win the battle of life, the first battle you've got to win is the battle over yourself. Let me give you a very easy example. There's some of you that came here this morning. And when you woke up, you wanted to go back to sleep. You wanted to turn off the alarm clock. You wanted to say, you know, I'll just catch it on the computer. I'll just watch it later when it comes on TV. I'll go online. I'll just stay asleep. Now, what you didn't realize was happening was you weren't battling sleep. You were battling you. You were having to determine, what am I going to do today? Well, I love Paul because he, like me, loved sports. And when Paul talked about the Christian life, he talked about the Christian life as a life that was lived for the glory of God and under the power of the gospel. That's what the Christian life is, is when you finally decide, I want to live my life solely for the glory of God, and I want to live it under the power of the gospel. Now, in terms of running a race, and that's what he compares it to, he tells us if you're going to win this race, if you're going to live what we call the cross-shaped life, it begins and it ends with self-control. So if you bought a copy of God's Word or you want to look on an iPad or a phone, we're in a chapter of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, a book called 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You go to the Gospels, it's about six or seven books over, you'll come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And what you're going to see is 
Paul compares being a Christian to being an athlete. So I want you to imagine today that you're an athlete. You, you may, maybe you don't like athletics, maybe you never played sports, but just we're gonna just pretend today you are an athlete. And what Paul says is, that's really the way you ought to look at the Christian life. You're in a race. And if you're going to win this race, you've got to be and do several things. You've got to have certain qualities, okay? Number one, you must have a real desire to win. If you're going to win a race, you must have a real desire to win. Here's what Paul says as he meets his mind immediately goes to a race in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He said, <clears throat> do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, we know that, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, the reason why Paul had this sports analogy in his mind was ever since the time of Alexander the Great, athletics had dominated Greek society. I've often, when I've studied history, thought to myself, I would not have minded at all living back in the days uh, 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 when Paul lived in, in this Greek society because they were a sports-crazy culture. The most important athletic events were the Olympic Games, which were held every four years in Athens. And then every two years, there was what was called the Isthmian Games that were held in Corinth. So every two years, you had something going on. You either had the Olympics or the Olympian Games, then the Olympics, then the Isthmian Games, and you were always looking forward to these magnificent events. And I mean, it had something for everybody. There was running there was long jumping, there was spear throwing, there was boxing, there was wrestling, there was chariot racing, and everyone that competed had to take an oath. And the oath said, I have trained for at least 10 months and I will not resort to unfair tricks. Now, this was back before steroids and HGH and stim stimulants. So everybody was on the same level playing field. Now, everybody was eligible. The young could try out, the old could try out. Everybody was eligible. And everyone could enter, and anybody that wanted to compete could compete. But though everyone could compete, everybody that started training knew one thing would be true. Only one person will win. I may not be that person, but one person will win. Only one person will win the race. Only one will win the wrestling match. Only one will win the boxing match. Only one will win the, the long jump and the spear throw. So Paul says, look, if you're going to be in it, be in it to win it. Run in such a way that you win. And by the way, there was great motivation to win because if you won your event, listen to what would happen. Your name in your hometown would be announced to the crowds as you were awarded first place. You would be given a triumphant parade in your hometown you would be given 500 drachmas of money. That was a lot of money. You would be given the right to sit at a place of honor for all the succeeding games for the rest of your life. You'd have your own air-conditioned booth way up high where you could see everything going on. Your children would receive a free education for life. You would be exempt from military duty, never had to serve in the army again. And here's the biggie. You never had to pay taxes again. It didn't matter who won, Democrats or Republicans. You never had to pay taxes again. So everybody, obviously, when they went in it, they went in it to win it. They wanted 
to to win. Now, let's take the race that we're in. It's called life. In the race of life, we are all born running. Whether you realize it or not, the moment you came out of your mother's womb, you were born running. It's not without, uh, uh, it's not a coincidence that the first thing a little child wants to do when they're born, they want to learn how to what? Walk. They want to learn how to run. We're all born within us this desire to kind of run and to run this race. And so the point is, if you're all born running in your race, you're all running in the race of life anyway, why not run to win? You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Why wouldn't you get up every morning and make every day count for God? Why wouldn't you do that? You say, well, I don't always do that. I know, and here's why. Because you don't want to. The desire's just not there. Because the first step to doing that is to have a real desire to win. You've got to get up every morning and you've got to make your want to want to. You've got to say today, I want to live a life that pleases God and I want to live a life that blesses others. Because I've learned when I played sports in school, the first step to winning is you've got to want to win. If you don't want to win, you want win. And almost without exception, you watch this. When two individuals or two teams are competing for a championship, it is the one that really wants it the most that wins. How many times do you hear after a championship game that the opposing coach that lost will say they just wanted it more than we did? Or how many times do you hear the winning team say we just wanted it more than they did? Their fire burned just a little bit hotter. That desire was just a little bit higher. Because here's the bottom line, and you all know this. We whine, we complain, we gripe, we make excuses. But the bottom line is this. We all do what we really want to do. Everything else is just a flimsy excuse. We all really do what we really want to do and what we really have a desire to do with our life. I mean, you proved it today, right? If you really want to come to church, you'll be in church. If you really want to read your Bible, you'll get up and read your Bible. If you really want to spend time with God, you'll spend time with God. If you really want to be faithful in your finances and be a giver and not a taker, you will be faithful in your finances. If you really want to worship, if you really want to serve, if you really want to be sent, if you really want to be a disciple, you will do that. But you must have a real desire to win. Now, I know a lot of people who at least with their talk say, Man, I want to win. I want to win the race of my life. I want to get to the end of my race. I want to hit the tape with my chest out, with my head held high, running as hard as I can. I know you say that's what you want, and you may think you have a real desire to win, but there's a second step. You must exercise rigorous discipline to win. You must have a real desire, but you must exercise rigorous discipline to win, because winning doesn't come automatically. We know that. Winning is more than just showing up. It's not as easy as Paul states. So he goes on to say this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, Paul said, look, I'm not going to pull any punches. You've got to pay a price to be a winner, and the currency is called 
discipline. By the way, the Greek word for that phrase, exercises self-control, that's two words in the English language. It's one word in Greek. It's the word in Greek that gives us the English word agonize. What Paul literally said was, every athlete has to agonize in all things if they want to win their race. Now, it's been duly noted that athletes in Paul's day trained hard to compete just to be able to get into the race. In fact, in order to enter the race, you couldn't just fill out an application and they'd say, okay, you're good to go. You had to actually give proof that you had been training 10 months full time before they would even let you enter into the race. Then for 30 days before the event took place, you would train together daily in full view. So if you had not been training for 10 months, it showed up pretty quickly. They would kick you out before you even could run your race. So it's one thing to say, I want to compete. It's another thing to prove it. It's one thing to say, I I do want to get in shape. It's another thing to prove it. And you all know this is where most people fail in going as high as they could go or going as far as they could do and doing what they really could do because we just naturally, we don't like discipline. I mean, discipline is kind of like eating vegetables, right? You don't want to do it, but you know you really need to do it. In fact, I was thinking the other day, you know, there are two things we don't like. If we're just being honest, there are two things we don't like. If you're a parent, okay, you don't like to discipline your kids. I mean, can I be honest? If you just really get into disciplining your kids, there's something wrong with you. You're a sicko, okay? Uh, I, I don't like to discipline my kids. I even dislike more disciplining my grandkids. As a matter of fact, I so dislike disciplining my kids, I don't discipline my grandkids, okay? So I don't like, and, and you don't like that. And let me tell you something else. Personally, We don't like to discipline ourselves. And yet discipline is what we need most in our life, not the least. Because at the end of the day, here's what you'll find. The difference between ability and achievement and the difference between potential and the prize is discipline. I've never met anyone again, very successful in life, that only did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. I've never met anybody in life that went very far when they only did what they pleased and they only did what made them happy. Zig Ziglar, my dear departed friend, said, when you do what you need to do when you need to do it, that's discipline. Then you can do what you want to do when you want to do it. Here's the way most people live their lives. They do what they want to do when they want to do it. And if there's no time left ever over, then what needs to get done just doesn't get done. And it takes discipline to make that extra phone call. It takes discipline to do that extra rep when you're lifting weights. I, you know, you probably know this. At, a 200, at 211 degrees, water is just hot water. But at 212 degrees, It is boiling water. And with boiling water comes steam. And with steam, you can move a locomotive. It takes discipline to exercise that one degree difference. And the people I've met in life that are most successful, they they had the discipline to go that one extra degree. No, 
You may not love discipline. Matter of fact, I don't care for it that much. But you're going to have to live it if you're going to win your race and live a life that glorifies God and blesses others. I was reading the other day, this fast, every time I read about this guy, it fascinates me. You'll love this. Michael Phelps is not only the greatest swimmer who has ever lived, he is the most successful and decorated Olympian of all time. Now listen to this. He has 28 medals. He holds the all-time record for Olympic gold medals with 23. He has Olympic gold medals in individual events with 13. That's a record. Olympic medals in individual events with 16. That's a record. He won eight gold medals in 2008, an all-time record. He won the most medals of any athletes in four Olympics in a row. Think about that. In four Olympics, he won more medals by himself than every other athlete. If you ask Michael Phelps, Mike, what was the key? How did you pull that off? You know what he said? One word, discipline, self-control. How did it happen? Michael Phelps would swim 80,000 meters every week. That is 50 miles a week. He practiced twice a day. He trained six hours a day. He trained six days a week. He did both vertical kicking and underwater kicking. He used gear from kickboards and pull boys and training paddles and snorkels to make his swimming even more difficult. Now, here was the good news. To have the energy to do that, he had to eat 12,000 calories a day. You know why a lot of people are overweight? They eat 12,000 calories a day while they're watching television. He had to have 12,000 calories a day. Now, here's what blew my mind. He paid a price. He was doing all of that. Somebody tell me, to win what? The gold medal, right? Won that gold medal. Well, want to know something amazing? That gold medal that he worked so hard for, the highest value of all time was the London gold medal, which was worth only 708 bucks. He did all of that for a $700 piece of gold. And oh, by the way, I really hate to tell you this, it's not even really gold. It's made up of 95.5% silver and 1.34% gold, and the rest of it is copper. In other words, give it a little time, it'll tarnish, it can rust, it'll fade. Better than that. In the ancient Olympic games and the Corinthian games, you know what you'd get if you won? You got this winner's crown. You know what it was made of? Olive branches. Or you'd get a wreath made out of pine branches. In other words, here's how valuable it was. By the time you got back home, the thing had already withered and died. That's what you worked 10 months for. Crowns are fleeting and titles are temporary. But Paul says, we're not running for a crown that's perishable. We're running for a crown that is imperishable, which will last forever. So I want to ask all of us a question. I have to ask this for myself time to time. And be honest. Don't need to lie about it. Would you rather have a gold medal or God's approval? Would you rather have 
The fame and the fortune of this world are the favor of God. And what Paul is saying is to win the only prize that matters, it takes rigorous discipline to win. Rigorous. It takes discipline to turn off the TV and read your Bible. It takes discipline to turn off the alarm and get dressed and come to church. It takes discipline to say, I'm not going to sit and soak and sour. I'm going to serve somewhere. It takes discipline if you're going to win your race. Third thing, you must go in the right direction to win. I know you know that, but it's Bears repeating. You got to go in the right direction. Because guess what? You, let's, say you're the, let's say you're Usain Bolt and you are the fastest player that's ever, the fastest runner who has ever lived. You're in the Olympics. You're running the 100 meter dash for the gold medal. All I got to do is turn that sucker 180 degrees when the gun goes off. He can run faster than 10 deers put together. He's not going to win anything. You got to run in the right direction. It's not how fast or how hard, it's where you're running. So Paul says this, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. In other words, Paul said, you don't win a race by just running around in circles or running where you think you ought to run. You've got to run toward the finish line. You don't win a boxing match by just throwing box, you know, you know, uh, punches in the air. You don't win a boxing match by swinging wildly, hoping something connects. In both cases, you've got to be focused. In a race, you've got to be focused on the finish. In a boxing match, you've got to be focused on the fight. Because if your aim is not right, you know what that means? You hit the wrong target every time. If your aim is not right, you're going to be running in the wrong direction every time. So you've got to decide three things about you every single day. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? You see, and it breaks my heart, I see this so often. Too many people, you know how many, you know how many, too many people live their lives they're just shadow boxing. That's all they're doing. They're just shadow boxing. Most people, let me put it to you this way. Most people in life are not serious about life. I'm serious. Most people in life are not serious about life. You say, well, well tell me why, okay? This is gonna sound very dogmatic. It's going to sound very offensive. It's going to, be sound, it's going to sound very doctrinaire. It's going to sound very rigid. But it's also going to be very true. You're not serious about life until you're serious about God. Period. Period. You're not serious about life until you are serious about God. And if you're not headed right now toward God, toward the will of God, toward the work of God, toward the worship of God, you are headed in the wrong direction. You're just running around in circles. You're just throwing punches into the air. Let me tell you why. The finish line is not temporal. It is eternal. The finish line is not making the most money, 
having the most up, climbing the highest corporate ladder, being the most popular or being the most famous, the finish line is the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. That's the finish line. And this may sound narrow-minded again and arrogant, but if Jesus Christ is the real deal, then a life lived apart from Jesus Christ as Lord is a wasted life. It is a wasted life. A life lived for the gold of this world and not the glory of God is a wasted life. A life that is lived for the fame and fortune of this world and not for the favor of God is a wasted life. Listen, I don't want to run the race of my life only to realize at the end of the day I was running in the wrong direction. And if you're living life the way it was meant to be lived, listen, if you're living your life the way it was meant to be lived, here's how you'll know it. It's real easy. Every day you live will bring you closer to Jesus, not farther away. That's the simple test. If you're living the life the way you ought to live it, every day of your life will bring you closer to Jesus. Every day it sees you on the inside of God's will looking out, not on the outside of God's will looking in. I, I, I read a sign one time. I don't remember where I read it. Here's what it said. Listen to this. It said, if most people drove their cars the way they planned their lives, they would never get out of the driveway. That's true. If most people drove their cars the way they planned their lives, they would never get out of the driveway. You need to focus on the finish. But listen, listen to me. The finish is not a place. The finish is a person named Jesus. Because to win the race, you've got to go into the right direction. And then there's one last thing. If you want to win the race, you must maintain a relentless determination to win. It's not just the real desire. It's not just the rigorous discipline. You must have a relentless determination to win. Because in order for you to run the best race that you can and to fight the best fight you can, you know what? You've got to be in the best shape that you can. So Paul concludes with this striking picture. Listen to what Paul says. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So here's the truth. At the end of the day, either you are going to control self or self is going to control you. You say, well, pastor, which one will win? Oh, that's easy to answer. It is the one with the most determination. Self cannot control you. If you have the most determination, you are going to control self. See, we know this, right? Everybody says they want to be in shape, but they're not determined to exercise. Everybody says they want to be financially stable, but they're not determined to manage their money. We, we say we want to lose weight, but we're not determined to watch what we eat. <laughs> or maybe we're too determined to watch what we eat. 
We want the prize of success, but we're not determined enough to pay the price of success. And every day, guess what? You determine how you run your race. You determine how hard you run. You determine how fast you run. You determine what direction you go in. Every day, it is you. And that's why you can never let your guard down. You can never take your eye off the finish line. You can never slack off. You can never take shortcuts. You gotta be determined to keep the end in mind. Because what Paul says is true. The only runner that wins is the one that crosses the finish line. The only boxer that wins is the one that fights to the last bell. And we need to remember, our race is not over and our fight is not finished until we draw our last breath. And what Paul is telling us here is an old cliche that's true. It's not how you finish. It's how you start that counts. My biggest goal in life today, right now, and, and I think I said this last week, I don't remember, but my biggest goal in life right now until the day I die, I've got one goal left for me personally, my biggest goal. I've got more, but this is my biggest one. If you said, Pastor, if you don't do anything else for whatever life God has left for you, what's the one thing you want to do above every other thing? It's so easy. I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. I don't want there to be any scandal in my life. I want to die faithful to the woman that I love. I want to die with my children and grandchildren weeping because I'm gone because they miss their dad and they miss their pop. I want to die leaving behind a lot of people that I pastored that can't say one bad thing about my reputation. I want to finish well. I want to finish right. And see, I don't want to run my wet race only to be disqualified at the end. Because in Greek culture, when Paul talked about being disqualified, in Greek culture, there was nothing more shameful for a community or a town than the disqualification of one of their athletes. And what Paul was talking about here was being disqualified from being the representative Jesus that you ought to be and being the messenger of the gospel that you ought to be. I'm thinking right now, right now, I'm thinking about a man that I met years ago. He was as talented and gifted a person as I have ever known, ever. He was absolutely one of the most gifted communicators I've ever been around. He had a tremendous sense of humor. He had a magnetic personality. I mean, people were drawn to him like flies at a picnic. He pastored one of the largest churches in the country. He went to work in a nightclub and just recently got fired from the nightclub. See what happened? He fell into sexual immorality. He was disqualified. He'll never pastor again, or if he tries, the anointing of God is gone. His reputation is in shatters. It is a tragedy what has happened to him. What happened? Why? He didn't cage the lion. He didn't keep self where self belongs. Now, to be clear, let me make sure you understand something. Paul was talking about not talking about losing your salvation. We don't believe that's possible. You cannot lose your salvation. He was talking about losing the tremendous privilege and honor and blessing of being an example for Jesus, being a credible messenger of the gospel, of being used of God as greatly as God wants to use you. See, that's why every day, this is a good lesson for you parents to teach your kids. 
That's why every day, what you may think are little things are big things. It's the little things that will keep you in the race. It's the little things that will keep you going in the right direction. It's the little things that will keep you making the right decisions. But it takes discipline. It takes determination. It takes discipline and determination to get into the Word of God. <clears throat> Let me get real personal. Let me kind of meddle in your business a little bit. It takes discipline and determination to get into a small group in our church and not just show up here on Sunday. It takes discipline. It takes determination. It takes discipline and determination to make worship with God's people a regular habit. Surveys have just come out now. As by the way, this was confirmed by a church in our area that did their own survey. The average attender in church today, I'm talking about the average person that comes to church, average attender, comes 1.6 times a month. That's the average attender. 1.6 times a month. It takes discipline and determination to make worship a regular habit. It takes discipline and determination to step out of your comfort zone and say, yes, I'll go on a mission trip. I want to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. I know God has a place where I can go. I know God has a work that I can do. And it takes discipline and determination to be sent to share the gospel here and around the world. Now, let me just clarify one thing. I want to make sure you don't misunderstand. If you are listening to me right now and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to understand this. You're not even in the race. Paul's talking about a race that's run for the glory of God. You're not even, even in the race. Because in order to run in the Olympics or the, Olymp or the Christian games, you had to be a Greek citizen. Not, not, not just anybody could run. You had to be a Greek citizen. Well, if you want to get in the real race of life, if you want to get in the race you were meant to run, you've got to be in the family of God. And by the way, that's why there's no way if you're not a believer, there's no way if you're not a Christian, there's no way you can win your race because you're not even running in the race. That's why it doesn't matter if you leave Jesus out of your life. It doesn't matter how many awards you win. It doesn't matter how famous you become. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much stuff you accumulate. You're not even in the race. There's no way you can win. Now, let me tell you the good news. Here's the good news. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're not only in the race, you are qualified to run. But there's something even more beautiful about this race. Let me tell you why this is one race everybody ought to want to get in on, okay? This is the only race where everybody can win. Everybody. You know why? Because you're not running against me. And I'm not running against you. I'm running against me. You're running against you. And if I want to win my race, I can win my race. And if you want to win your race, you can win your race. You decide who is going to win because we're not competing with, against each other. We're competing against ourselves. Hale Gebrelassi, who won two Olympic gold medals in the 10,000 meter run, one of the greatest runners who ever lived. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, when you run the marathon, 
You run against the distance, not against the other runners and not against the time. That's, I thought that is such a great description of the Christian life and the race. You're not running against anybody else. You're running against you. You run your own race. Therefore, it will be up to your desire, up to your discipline, up to your direction, up to your determination as to whether or not you win or you are disqualified. Now, here's the good news. I know we can all win our race. You say, well, how do you know that? Why do you think the Bible is filled with examples of ordinary people just like you and me? Joseph, just a guy. Moses, just a guy. Paul, just a guy. Peter, just a guy. James, just a guy. John, just a guy. Daniel, just a guy. Esther, just a gal. Mary, just a gal. Rahab, just a gal. Why are they all in the Bible? Here's what God's saying to us about all of them. They won their race, you can win yours. They run their race, they won their race, you can win yours. By the same grace and power that got them to the finish line victoriously, we've got the same grace and power that we can do the same thing. Some of you will remember the name Cotton Fitzsimmons if you're old enough. Cotton Fitzsimmons used to be the coach at the Atlanta Hawks. And he's quite a character. He's a great motivator. And uh, I, there's a story. I love this story. It's a true story. One time, his team was playing the Boston Celtics. His team was not very good. They were in a long losing streak. And the Celtics, well, they were the Boston Celtics. I mean, they were the best team at that time. So Fitzsimmons is always trying to motivate his guys and get them up to you know, play their best. So he got all the players together right before the game. And he gave this pep talk like only Cotton Fitzsimmons could do. He gave this pep talk, pep talk, and he built it around the word pretend. And here's what he said. Listen to this. He said, men, when you go out there tonight, forget you're in last place. Pretend you're in first place. Forget that you've been in a long losing streak. Pretend you're on a long winning streak. Forget this is a regular game. Pretend this is a game for the championship. Man, they were fired up. They went on out on that court and the Celtics blew them out, beat them by 50 points. <laughs> they came into the locker room. Fitzsimmons is fit to be tied. He is ticked. He is so upset. And he was just about to read them the riot act. And about that time, one of his players who didn't even play that night came in with a big grin on his face, slapped him on the back and said, cheer up, coach. Pretend we won. <laughs> Life is too short. Life is too valuable. Life is too important to pretend anything. And who among us today needs to get honest and say, you know, I need to quit playing pretend with my life. I need to get serious about my life. And that means I need to start getting serious about God. I need to get serious about the one that loved me so much he sent his son to die for me. 
I need to get serious about the one that loved me so much. He died on the cross for my sins and came back from the grave so that I could win my race. I need to get serious about the Holy Spirit that's doing everything he can to woo me and draw me to Jesus. I need to get real with the one who ran his race to the finish line of the cross, who crossed that finish line coming out of an empty tomb, and I need to let that one live in me so I can live for him. Then you are guaranteed to win your race. Let's pray together. If you'll just be quiet and still for just a moment, just a moment. I just want to ask you a simple question. Two. First question. Are you even in the race? Because if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I didn't say, well, I believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, not know Jesus. I'm talking about those of you who would be honest enough. You don't know Jesus personally. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You've never been born again. You, play, you may have played the religious game, the church-going game, this game or that game, this is not a game. This is life. This is real. <clears throat> My question to you, are you in the race? No, pastor, I'm not. Would you like to be? Yes, pastor, I would. Then would you just tell God that right now? Would you just say that to Jesus right now? Just right now in your heart, would you just tell Jesus that? If you say, say something like this. Lord Jesus, you created me to run a race. Not only have I not been in the race, the right race, I've been in the wrong race, going the wrong direction. But today, I want to be in the race. Today, I am saying to you, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Today, I'm saying to you, you are that Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I confess right now you are my Lord. I put all of my faith in you as my Savior. I repent. I turn away from my old dead way of life. I put on the uniform of the athlete. I'm now on the track. And I'm now running my race and living my life for you. Okay, now if you prayed that prayer, just, I'm just talking to you that prayed that prayer, look up here at me. Look me right in the eye. Some of you looking right now. Look at me right in the eye. Look here. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, there's something very simple I'm going to ask you to do. Because once you get in a race, you know this, right? When the gun goes off, you don't just sit down and stop. You start running. All right, it's time for you to start running. Here's the first stage of the race. Some of you are looking at me right now. Here's what I want you to do. You, you prayed that prayer with me. You asked Jesus to save you. There's a card called Connection Point. I want you to take that card out right now of your worship guide. Take a pen or a pencil. There should be one right in front of you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign your name. Give us, give us an address, an email, or, or your best phone number. 
down at the bottom of the box, there's a box that says, says, today I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That means you got in the race. Okay, check off that box. It's that simple. Now, if you checked off the first box, you'll go ahead and check off the second box. I want to be biblically baptized. We're about to baptize some folks in the next service. Say, well, why do I need to be baptized? That's part of the race. That's part of being on the track. That's the way you let people know you're in the race is by being baptized. That's the way you advertise you're in the game. So I'm going to ask you to check off that second box as well, okay? Now, you may be here today and you may say, hey, I'm in the race. I, I, I know Jesus. I've, I've got the uniform. I'm running. But you've never been biblically baptized. Well, no, I haven't done that. Well, you may be in your race, but you've got a weight on you and you're not running as fast as you can because You've not obeyed God in being baptized because the very first thing that the one that puts you in the race demands that you do once you get into the race is to be baptized. So I'm going to ask you to check off the second box. You may not need to check off two of them, but you do need to check off the second one. I'm going to ask you to check off the second box. And then there may be some of you, you may say, I don't need to do either one of those things. I'm, I know the Lord, been baptized, but... You're not a part of this church. You've been coming here for a while and you need to get involved. I'm going to ask you to check off that third box. I want to commit to attend the next starting point class, which starts in March. Okay? Doesn't mean you can automatically be a part, but at least you'll find out what it means to be a part. Now, watch this. What do you do with the card? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When you leave today at either one of our campuses, there is a table called Connection Point. I want you to take that card to that table on your way out the door. All you got to do is hand it to somebody. That's it. You're done. That's all you got to do. They will look at your card. They'll know what box you checked off, and they will then know what next step you need to take. They'll give you the material that you need. We'll contact you later, and we'll follow up, and you're on your way running your race. Now, those of you who are already in the race, this is my question for you. Are you running it to win or running it to lose? Think about this as I pray. You're already in the race. Why would you run it to lose? So if you're going to run it to win, you know what that means you're going to do? You're going to worship. You're going to serve. You're going to send and be sent. And you're going to disciple. You're going to read God's Word. You're going to pray. You're going to share Jesus with others. You're going to have one. You're going to have one person that you are going to ask God to use you to bring into the race. You're going to be involved in a group where you can disciple others and they can disciple you. And if you've not done any of those things, but you say, can I sign up somewhere? Just go to our connection point table again. They'll take care of it. Father, race is so short. I've learned that, how short our race is. We only get one chance to run it. May we run in such a way that we win for the glory of, of God and for the preaching of the gospel. And we pray this. In the name of Jesus, amen.